Listening to the Civil Sentinel podcast. What is happening? Hey, what's up? How are you guys doing tonight? Good, man. Just kicking back. Tonight we are joined by Dan. Uh, Dan, tell us your screen name. Uh, screen name is Pacific NW Comms. Um, that's on Instagram. Uh, that's pretty much the only social I've got. I was just scrolling through his Instagram too. It's uh it's a pretty cool uh channel actually. I just recently started uh following um you on Instagram, I think after Civil told me that we were gonna be doing a podcast with you and I was like I was like, I think I've seen him before. Like I've seen people like share his stuff. I was like, I don't think I follow him, so um yeah. I followed you pretty recently and then I was just scrolling down your page and it's it's some really cool uh content actually. I'm digging it. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's um, just whatever I'm doing. So, yeah, and I've been um, I've been following you for a while. I'm not even sure how long, but I started almost as long as I've been following you. Yeah, I mean, I I started my page back in like March, just kind of messing around with it, and it, it caught steam. But I remember picking you up. I was looking for specifically comms guys when I started. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I came across your page at some point. Yeah. But uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, who are you? Uh, where are you? And uh, and how long you been in the comms? What got you into comms? Yeah, so it's not a fair example as far as how I got into comms, but uh, we're in the northern part of Idaho, so all six of us up here. Uh, but we uh, <laughs> so we got my, another uh, Idahoan on the podcast. Are you kidding? I, me? I know it's like you just you just guys <laughs> you guys can't win. It's like every single time. It's great though. Oh, hey. Um, Cheers to Idaho. I think that's I right? think that's three. Is that three now? I think so. Resilient and HXC are both from up here, uh, the southern part, I think. But yeah, tell us a little bit more about uh, uh, your your comms history and uh, how long you've been doing it. What got you into it? All that stuff. Yeah. So, like I said, it's not a fair example. The only reason I say that uh, my dad owns a two way shop, so a lot of the work you see on the Instagram is stuff working with him kind of uh that's a big enough business that he just can't do it by himself anymore so i'm helping part-time aside from my day job but he's been doing that stuff since the late 70s i think so the last 40 plus years um oh shoot i guess longer than that but out of high school went to college for it all that stuff so flash forward to me um i've been doing this for professionally for the last 10 and 15 years with him just on and off you know as a kid or whatever but uh, recently started again, so it's part time. But uh, so that's where the unfair example comes in. I've always been interested in the radio stuff, but only super interested lately. Um, so I've been doing public safety work since 2016, and that's kind of where the interest reignited. You know, looking at some of the issues that they have and cross-referencing it to the stuff that I did with Dad, and like, okay, well, you know, we have solutions for this, this, and this, but. Um, that's kind of where it got reignited is like, man, there are a lot of issues here. I need to learn more about this to help these guys out. Cause they're not, they're not fixing these problems uh, or as or not fix them as efficiently as they could anyway. And, and who is they? You're, you're talking about public safety uh, clients that use, use equipment, right? Well, you know, public safety clients. So I work directly in public safety in probably the least favorite uh, branch 
that you guess you can call it branch uh, that civilians don't really care for it, but that's okay. We'll just breeze over that. So um, that's that's where I, I use the radios every day. You know, whether it's mobiles, handhelds. You know, working with the dispatch centers, it's just kind of uh, it's four days a week, every week for the last six years. It's been what I do, so it uh, definitely hits home. As far as needing reliable communications, you know, looking at all the issues they got, learning from those mistakes and trying to not replicate them in whatever private thing I've got going on. Um, so that's that's the public safety side of it. Uh, but other than that, I work as an RTO or a comms guy for a small group of guys that need the experience and they had battle things before and it's a common story, I know, but um they they needed something that was reliable, something that worked, and developed things they didn't even have programmed or know how to use. And so I started setting those up, and I had never heard of them before. I was like, "What is this stuff?" And quickly realized these are not great. Um, is that your first Instagram post? You know, okay, <laughs> so no, that's not my first Instagram post. That was actually a. I'm trying to remember. That was actually a client. Uh, of a different job. They had like a bag of these things, all different models. I had never seen those before. This was a couple of years after um, I was dealing with these guys. So these were, I was like, okay, I've got the programming cables. I have the program. I did not use Chirp. It was actually an RT system software, much better. Um, so I threw those on there, programmed them up. And some of those are actually kind of hefty. You know, the one in the foreground, the UB9R plus, not a bad radio if you don't care about, you know, spurious emissions and all that stuff. But yeah, that was not my, those are a different deal, but yeah, those are definitely both things. My first Instagram post. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I think the, the nine R plus is, that's just like kind of a UV five R, but it's like ruggedized a little bit. Yeah. I can't remember the specifics. I didn't care enough. Honestly, yeah. just okay. Got to program them, get them back to this guy and forget about it. Nice. Yeah. So that's, that's my background. I've seen that so much. I think it's funny how you say that the, uh, you know, this group of guys that had that had Balfangs and they weren't even programmed. They're just like running the stock channels that are like that come from like the factory that are yeah. saved into the memory, which like I, I've seen a handful of them. And sometimes there's like two channels sometimes like four channels. They might not even be the same channels. And it's just mm -hmm. like you guys, it, you haven't even figured out how to use a $30 radio. And you don't even know yeah. what frequencies you're using unless they just put it in like VFO mode and punch in a frequency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a definitely a retold tale over and over again. You just see it a lot. Kind of makes me sad, honestly. There's so much better people could do. Big sad. But, you know, people got to start somewhere, so I can't be mad at that. You know, that's my story, too. I mean, I came on with, I've talked about it before. I came on with the group that I originally started training with, and everybody had Baofangs. I didn't even know what a Baofang was, but... They didn't know how to use them. Yeah. And, you know, I I was like, all right, well, I'm tech savvy enough. Let me figure this out. And then the rabbit trail began. Mm hmm. I don't even know if it's a rabbit trail. It's like a black hole. Yeah. <laughs> That's a much better <laughs> description. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Cool. So, um, what kind of systems are you installing? Well, a lot of the stuff, actually, you know, I'll just reference my Instagram because that's the easiest thing for me to remember what I do. Uh, most of it's P25, to be honest. Uh, we do a lot of citizen bands of CB radios uh, for logging companies or departments. Anybody that has a, a truck and they want to put a CB into, uh, we'll do yeah, it I for was, them. So. I was checking out that post with the, the white F-150 for the CB install. That's pretty clean. Oh, yeah. Yeah, somebody, 
I'm trying to think. It wasn't Swamp Comms. There was somebody else. He commented on that one. I think somebody may have messaged me and was like, dude, it kills me every time I see you drill a hole into a roof. I'm like, you know what? I, I totally agree with you, but that's what these people want. So we just have to give it to them. You know, they're paying for it. So I was going to ask about that. Um, how is it like just punching a hole through the roof? You know, it depends on the age of the vehicle and what kind of vehicle it is. Um, I, it's not bad. You don't, if you do it right, which we do, uh, then you're not going to have any of the common issues that people think you'd have, you know, water leaks over time or uh, resale value drop on the vehicle. A lot of those people that are putting these in the, in the roof don't care whether they're a larger agency or a department that has the money to resell it via auction where the, the value is already degraded. Or it's a logger that's like, well, we get a new truck every year because we trash them on the back roads. You know, they just don't care what you do with the truck. So, um, but as far as like, you do you want to know the process of it? Like the ins and outs of, of punching hole, how hard it is to install all that stuff. Let's be honest. When was the last time you looked thoroughly at the roof of a truck when you bought it to see if it had holes in it? Well, again, not, not a fair question because every time. <laughs> for, yeah. for me, yeah. But everybody else doesn't seem to care, so. So I say that uh, back in uh, probably 2014, 2015, I bought a, a F-150 fleet vehicle. It was the 7700 mm. F-150, which they only made like 2,000 of those trucks. Uh, so it's a oh, three-quarter wow. ton F-150, uh, but it was a fleet vehicle. And I bought it from the city of Denton here in Texas, and it was a retired vehicle. Uh, and I bought it because it was you know, heavy duty. Uh, just It was my welding truck at the time. But... And I didn't even know it. I Weeks later, I looked at the top. I was like, oh, there's a hole in this thing. They must have had an antenna hmm. plugged into this thing at some point in time, which makes sense. You know, it's a fleet vehicle. They have it sealed up or was it just a hole? They had this rubber plug in it. So they probably harvested the antenna off of it before they dumped it to the market. Yeah, I see that sometimes. It's just better to leave the coax, uh, coax end of the antenna in there, you know, just cut it off of the cable end. You're never going to see the cable keep the metal plug in there for the base and just seal it with silicone. Done deal. So I guess when you're installing these things before you cut the hole, you got to rip the roof liner out and all that good stuff, huh? No, not necessarily. I mean, it is sometimes, I guess you do, depending on like a Kenworth semi truck or, you know, you really have to mess with those because somebody, whoever designed those things was not thinking about it, but no, for the most part, and it's harder in the newer ones, but for the most part, let's just take an older one, maybe 10, 15 years old, for example, standard F-150. They don't, the baffles in there or whatever they have to keep the roof and the headliner separate, uh, they're really not obstructive. So you can punch a hole, run your coax just by hand out the side after like taking the, you open up your, your car door on the side and you notice like the plastic kind of guards with the corrugation, like your footstep. You can pull those out super easy, almost without a screwdriver, just a little uh, clips in there. You pull those out, uh, the weather stripping from the top along or around the door seal. You can just reach up in there, man. Most of the time you can reach up in there, pull the headliner down a couple inches and you can just fish that thing right out. No big deal. Nice. That's cool. Right yeah. on. It'll right depend on. on where you want to put it, but yeah. So I, I had a post, uh, somebody sent me this about a year ago and I, I, there's some posts that I get and I kind of just save them cause I feel like it's good informative knowledge, but, uh, there's like a, 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 a chart that shows, best place to put an antenna on your vehicle um yeah and um i got one of those magnetic nagoya base mount antennas for the roof of my truck mm -hmm. um naturally i was you know just through studying some antenna theory and and signal i was like i'm gonna stick this thing in the middle of the roof of my truck 
That's what I did. And then I came across that little chart and it's like, oh, what do you know? That's actually the best place to put an antenna. And it is. I mean, if you just know basic propagation and how like ground plane signal works, I mean, I didn't even know that. I just, I I did the same thing. I stuck my magnetic mountain antenna right in the center of the roof. No, it looks the best though. I mean, so naturally we're going to want center, you know, if you're, if your mind is straight, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is the best place to put it. And I think Sybil has some more comments about the propagation or the, um, the diagram there, but you know, you, you have a lot of options where you can put these things where they're still effective. They just, their SWR is not as good. They're, uh, depending on the purpose, you know, they're just not going to get out as far. So, but you're right. Absolutely right. Top center is perfect. You know, I see overlanding yeah. trucks all the time and they have CB antennas, ham antennas on them. And they'll be like down, like on the bed rail of, of the bed. And like, if you think about it, so that signal is, is going to radiate out 360 degrees. Well, the back of the cab is made of metal and glass and mm-hmm. glass is yeah. reflective and metals reflective. And, and you know, once you kind of start understanding antenna theory and signal a little bit better, it's like, you're basically bouncing that signal off of the glass in the other direction. You know, yeah. Common sense then tells you, I need to put this thing in the middle of the highest point of the truck that I can, which is the center of the cab. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. A good example, good example of that, I guess the other, well, I should say early on in the whole team thing, we were doing some uh, area testing. So we have a, we have a couple of repeaters here. We rent out uh, from some local people, which is a huge resource guys. If you don't have that, find someone who does the uh, ability to I mean, TACOM or the whole RF masking comsec stuff aside, having a repeater available to you, even if it's not an ideal location is critical just for the area coverage it gives you. But um, we can touch on that stuff later too, but we were doing testing early on with handhelds just in our cars. We would drive to the top of the hill, which is a good thousand foot increase line of sight, um, and we were, we were not having great luck. You know, you'd key up and you're thinking, man, that's line of sight. Yeah. It's a couple miles, but that's nothing for these, these five watt Motorola's we got. And then we, uh, we stepped out of our vehicles and it was night and day difference. Like almost nothing was, um, it wasn't noisy. It, it was great. So yeah, the, the cab of a vehicle can make a huge impact Mass- on how your, your radio sounds. Massive. I, I have direct experience with that where I, before I had my uh, magnetic mountain antenna and was the reason why I got it, um, mm. was uh, I use VHF uh, P25 radios and VHF inside of a car is just a nightmare. I mean, <laughs> I we were having trouble completing a like 300 yard like line of sight communication. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, but you know, it's weird, even for UHF, which is better for penetrating the buildings and urban environments. You know, I was behind a wall in my basement, which we built ourselves. So I know it's, there's nothing weird in there. It's just a simple frame, two feet apart, drywall, all that stuff. And to the other side of that, there's another wall, probably 10 feet away. Yeah, it's concrete, but there's enough of the soft material around it. And, you know, I thought, okay, that should be fine. We had the radio sat down so the guy could use his microphone. Nothing. We're hitting the repeater and it sounded horrible. So it, it just, you never know. It could be anything in your environment and probably honestly the concrete in that situation, but. Yeah. And that all goes back to what we've talked about on previous podcasts where, you know, you got to get this stuff out there and test it yourself and, and see what the limitations yeah. are of it and, you know, test your, test your AO, uh, test where you're planning on using it and, you know, 
familiarize yourself with what's going to work, what's not going to work, make a mental benchmark of that in your mind and all that stuff. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it doesn't matter how much power you got if you're pushing 100 watts. If there's a big concrete metal wall between what you between you and who you're trying to talk to, it's probably not going to work. Yeah, probably not. <clears throat> so CB uh, P25, you ever you ever installed DMR radios in these vehicles? Um, you know, I don't know uh, off the top of my head. Is there is a distinct possibility I have? I know that sounds bad. I should know that stuff, but we do so many installs. So we mostly do public safety P25 stuff. We do a lot of, uh, I mean, it's all the same thing. <clears throat> we do programming too. So that's the different part, but it's all the same. You know, you ground your electrical, you ground your RF, you get your, um, your coax for your antenna, your proper antenna placement, your power needs to be properly fused, all that stuff. So it's the same install. Um, but I don't think if I have, it's been one or two and not recently. Or any DMR. Uh, I mean, I was I was just chat. I don't see. I don't even think I see. Well, wait. There's some Motorola's there. I'm yeah. not familiar with what. Handheld Those are DMR. Is, yeah, Those it's are XPR. Yeah, they're XPR 3500Es, UHF DMRs. Um, okay. Which, yeah, I'm. I had a bunch. I had like 12 of them. I was trying to get programmed, and we we're going to use those for the guys. They just uh, they they didn't work out. And then our system admin. This is the real reason it didn't work out. System admin for the repeater switched to IDIS Digital for ICOM, and we we're like, "Well, that's great." So if we want anything um, repeated, we had to go to IDIS, which is why you see later, more recently, in the last four posts, there's a bunch of ICOM radios in the box. That's the new yep. gear. So, okay, right. do those ICOMs do uh, any cool stuff? Any encryption? Anything like that? Uh, they do. I mean, it's IDIS Digital, um, which is very similar to NextN or NXDN. I'm abbreviating that verbally, which is funny. I heard Anarcho, Anarcho Bacon do that, and I was like, oh, I'm not the only one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like NextGen, but um, yeah. So they do. They do the encryption. It's a little different. I believe it's more of an FDMA protocol than it is a TDMA. So it's very similar to... Uh, P25 in that regard, but still different, obviously. So they, they do they do some pretty cool features. There's something called multi-site trunking, which is, uh, I, I'm sure other systems or other protocols do this as well. But if you have, let's say, multiple repeaters across the span of 150 mile radius, or let's just say diameter, and you've got your mobile radio in your car, and you've got a talk group, and you're like, I want to talk to these guys, but I don't know where all of them are at. If, you're, if your repeater sites are linked, you know, microwave linked one to each other, uh, or even just directionally RF'd it, um, you can actually get only certain people. So you key up, say, I want to talk to this talk group. And there's a bunch of other people on your network. And you've got three people in three different locations that are nowhere near each other. As long as those sites are linked, you key up, it's going to search and find those people in that talk group. Assuming they're within the range of that repeater, it'll reach the radios and say, hey, this guy's trying to talk to you. So it's a really, really cool feature that even those old 4161s that you see in that box can do. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So I know DMR kind of has a, a similar feature to that. You know, those DMR hotspots that are linked to the internet are really popular. And uh, there's like those worldwide talk groups that you can get on. And then they have talk groups by nation and they have talk groups by state and they have talk to groups by region and all that stuff. So it's probably very similar in that regard, except for it's uh, FDMA, not TDMA, like you said. Yeah. And it's specifically radio to repeater 
to radio. There's nothing on the internet. There's no voiceover, anything protocols. It's just, we're not voiceover. I'm sorry. It's not uh, internet based. So it's all, I mean, I don't really know how the DMR talk groups on the stuff works. I haven't really messed with that stuff at all, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely its own thing. It's kind of cool. I see you do like some uh, tower work too. Mm, yeah, it comes to the territory, unfortunately. So we, we manage, uh, we own and manage several computer sites. We manage more than we own, of course, but there are, uh, with the public safety contracts we have, there is the requirement to go to these sites, check antennas. Sometimes we have to replace antennas and that means we got to go on the tower. And so there's a lot of opportunity for a lot of fun experiences, including bees. They love metal. I saw that post about like a, a wasp, like nest extraction or something like that. And then like a replacement. <laughs> that, so we were really lucky with that one because we had gone there the year prior and had to cut our, our visit short. And there were some pretty, pretty big issues with that antenna. And that's a hard site to get to. It's not an easy one. It's like almost 8,000 feet elevation and some back roads. But um, that site in particular, that, hornet's nest there are the bald-faced hornets too they're really bad and i'm highly allergic so like well we just probably shouldn't mess with it um it was pretty full and active the year prior when we get there the year after we had a torch with us we had spray we had everything all ready to go and it was already dead oh they moved on yeah they moved on so i mean good news good news for us better to be prepared you know but it's just funny so we don't have those things down here in the south uh we have yellow jackets and red wasps I remember also when I was young, uh, I worked for my father growing up. He had a wireless internet company. So rural areas that only had dial up, um, he would go in and they did these long range uh, directional 2.4 antenna shots. And so he'd bring like a, mm-hmm. like a T1 into a, a water tower and set these uh, 33 degree antennas on water tower railing. Going up and doing some tower work with my dad, I was like 16. And uh, you get up on the water tower and there's just yellow jacket and red wasps and all these nests just like cluttered behind the antennas and uh oh yeah gross a few years later uh i figured out so i heard someone talking about this in a bar actually the the rf the vibration in the electromagnetic field uh it mimics that swarm uh that kind of hive vibration um and bees do this too but if you look real close when they swarm up they kind of they kind of vibrate real real quick but not like aggressively mm-hmm. or anything. So there's something about that RF that it, it mimics the hive. So there's something that attracts them to those antennas, which I was, I mean, that's, this is all, this is bar talk. So it may be completely false, but no, there's something to that. You know, they, they, I think it's galvanized metal mainly that we've noticed in, in, in the industrial sector, or commercial um, workforce. It's all, um, it's all galvanized stuff, and I don't, I don't know what it is. You're right on about the frequency stuff. They, they do seem to harmonize at that, whatever frequencies those are. But um, they love galvanized metal. And I think it's the chemicals in it, maybe. I, I'm not sure, but they, I tell you, there's a difference between a uh, ground nest in the woods, the sting from those, to the industrial ones. The sting from the industrial wasps, which are just regular wasps that make their stuff on metal, uh, they're bad. They last longer. They hurt more. And you get a weird metallic taste in your mouth. It's weird stuff, man. I'll say it right now that the government is weaponizing the wasps with RF <laughs> energy. Well, <laughs> if China can do the vaccine with, uh, oh, sorry. I don't know if you're going to have an issue with that one. But if they can do the vaccine with mosquitoes, they can do a lot of civil wasps. 
Oh no. <laughs> Weaponized yeah, right. CBRN wasps and mosquitoes. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's a it's a massive conspiracy. Harp is involved in this. Weather modification wasps. <laughs> and also 5G caused coronavirus. There you go. Ah, uh, yeah. Just goes so far off the deep end that uh, they won't touch us. Okay, cool. Oh, they're just crazy. 5G wasps. <laughs> What'd you say? It said 5G wasps. No, oh, I think he's... 5G wa- wasps are actually just drones. That's right. We seem really determined to make wasps a radio topic. I think we should get back on track. <laughs> it happens. Uh, oh, I yeah. love bush whacking out into the weeds. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So bringing it, bringing it back to baseline, uh, you said you got a little group that you do some stuff with. Uh, you guys used to use Baofangs. Have you stepped it up? Have you guys uh, uh, secured your comms and gotten better hardware and, and kind of implemented that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the mention of the, those Motorola XPR 3500Es, that was what we went to. Um, at the time, I was like, this is the best for the money. This is what we're going to get. And we're putting all this money into it. Um, and then those changes came about with itis and i was like well never mind sorry guys so i had everything programmed everybody had the radios and then i was like well actually i'm taking these back but it worked out better um turns out you can sell a motorola xpr 3500d for a lot more than you can buy an itis digital icom 4161 for so i was able to generate um a very large amount of revenue from that and turn it right back into almost twice as many of those icons, which are just as good. Uh, we actually, uh, really quick, uh, I'll get back to the team stuff, but we actually employ almost exclusively ICOM radios for all the public safety around here. It's what uh, it's what they want, it's what they know and what they're used to. They're really durable, actually. The public safety grade, even commercial stuff for ICOM is really, really quite top tier in my experience. But I gotta say, that's the first time I've heard of ICOM being preferred in the uh, public safety LMR side. You know, comms and logistics said the same thing to me, um, and it surprised me a little bit, to be honest, because I've dealt with it for so long. I, you know, and I don't know if it's a price point issue, and I don't know if it's a dealer or representative issue, but Motorola. Uh, I won't shit on another business or another company because it's not professional with me. But historically, we've had better luck dealing with ICOM and getting a representative to work with us as a company than we have with Motorola. And I don't know if that's because they're too big or what, but that's just my experience. So with ICOMs, they're maybe easier to get. They're easier to program. They're less proprietary, I guess, is a better word for it. And they just seem to work really well. So we've had no problems with them. You know, they're, they're durable. We can move them between an old public safety vehicle that's been trashed to another one probably five or six times before something goes bad with it. And that's not what I see with some of the older Motorola stuff. So we're pretty impressed. Okay, nice. That's really cool, actually. I've, I haven't i have dove into uh, looking up much, especially like the specifics about the ICOMs, like commercial grade stuff, but I have heard that it's pretty good. And I mean, ICOM is known throughout like the ham community as being one of the best. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I would, I would imagine that, you know, their commercial grade stuff is, is only even better, especially if it's been ruggedized and, uh, and, you know, is actually being fielded for like public safety use and stuff like that. I've also heard similarly about Motorola. I mean, you could spend five minutes on uh, radio reference, reading some stuff about like Motorola's and people asking questions on radio reference, you know, from, from even, you know, forum posts that are 10, 15 years old and, it just people across the board have had 
problems getting Motorola to service their radios and just, I mean, the list is endless. Yeah, you want to talk about gatekeeping. Again, I'm not going to shoot on a business, but if you had to grade it, uh, Motorola is pretty, pretty awful when it comes to gatekeeping. They do way too much of that. It's not as bad as it used to be, but it's still pretty bad. I think they just, they, they, they found a niche and wanted to capitalize on it as hard as they could. And, you know, in, in a lot of aspects, they, they, they really did. They figured out how to do it and they did it. I mean, everybody's heard of Motorola, right? How many people have heard of EF Johnson? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. When I was first getting into the radio stuff and P25, uh, well, I ne- I'd never heard about EF Johnson until I started looking into P25. I'd heard of Motorola DMR, the Moto Turbos. Um, I've even used like Motorola. I think like Motorola makes some like FRS radios too. And I think I've used those before. Uh, so yeah, you know, they're, they were just, uh, for a long time, Motorola has just pro- pro- proliferated amongst, you know, the communication space. And I think that's changing. Well, there's lots of rumors and stories about them, like buying up a whole bunch of used, used radios and then destroying them so people couldn't have them, um, which is weird to me. But yeah, no, they, they're definitely a household name when it comes down to it. EF Johnson stuff, I think it's a generational thing. Like if you're over the age of 35, no, I'm kidding. Over the age of like 40 or 50, you're like, oh, EF Johnson. Oh yeah, I remember those guys. But it's just more of a memory. You know, they're not really doing a whole lot in that world anymore or not in this area, I suppose. It sounds like talking to Common Logistics and Anarcho Bacon that EF Johnson's about to make a huge comeback and really kind of take the cake from Motorola when it comes to LMR radios. I think they already are. Well, Bendix King and Kenwood are coming out. Like Kenwood, they do their whole new next end stuff. They have some sweet radios on the market now. It's pretty cool. Yeah, some of that stuff. EF Johnson is going to be, well, I mean, you, you have like the EF Johnson, the VP series, and I believe they're coming out with the VP, is it the 8000, Jake? And that's going to be a, a, a triple mode. I think it's going to be um, DMR, P25, and analog, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, they're competing with Motorola's next program. Yeah. And then I think you can have, I think from what uh, uh, Anarcho Bacon was talking about, is you can use any two of those modes in a code plug. I don't think you can use all three, if I remember correctly. So you could have like DMR and P25. They're also multi-band which is unheard of. In- yeah, they're, well, is it, are they multi-band or like all band? Well, all band is subjective. It's more, it's multi-band like you were saying. I think it's yeah. just VHF, UHF. And then of course the seven to, the Motorola's do seven to nine maybe. Don't don't quote me on that. I'll check here in just a second, but. I think the, I think the 900s are different radios, but I'm not positive about that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have all the websites pulled up. I'm just kind of like browsing and see what, see what the comparison is here. Yeah, no, there's the, the, the famous XPR 6550. It's a DMR radio. Uh, and you can get uh, the UHF band or the VHF band or the 700, 800. And, but then there's like the XPR it's, I think it's the 8,500 series or the 7,500 series, which is the same radio. It's in the 900 megahertz range. So you get all those uh, blocks of frequency in the 900 that you can use. It's for all intents and purposes, you know, it's it's open up to the public just like FRS is, but it's in 900. That's pretty cool that they have that available in DMR because you don't need a ham radio license. You don't need an LMR license. You just buy the thing and turn it on and program it. I mean, you're obviously going to need some 
technical know-how and experience and knowledge to, to pull that off. But uh, I wasn't I wasn't aware that that was even a thing until Anarcho Bacon mentioned it a few weeks ago in a chat that we're in together. And uh, I thought that was really cool. I mean, 900 megahertz can do a lot of stuff that um, some of the lower band some of the lower UHF band can't do. Yeah. Data transfer for one. So they, um, they are, well, I shouldn't say they, there's no, they, the 900 band, like 915 to 928 is used for like all the mesh stuff, mesh tastic, Laura, uh, TT go beam, all that stuff. That's predominantly where that market is now. And I don't know if they have a voice, uh, license free voice, band in that in that range if they do i'd be curious about the interference between the mesh devices and your uh your radios yeah so i I, as as far as i understand it there there is something there that's available to the public that can be used for voice but think about 900 megahertz you're going to get a lot better penetration than you will from 700 800 megahertz uh but you're also more on site dependent at that point so that being a factor uh you know it's going to cut down your range your ao is going to impact your signal so that's probably how you do that. If you got like two or three people that are in like one building, uh, that 900 megahertz is probably going to outperform any UHF or seven eight hundred that's out there. I'm, of course, I'm just shooting from the hip on that. That's just in. That's just according to the theory of how things play out. But could be wrong. Yeah, I don't know. No, you don't, I'm not an expert. Well, <laughs> even if that stuff is, um, you know, on paper, it's one thing. You get out in the field and you try it. You have so many variables that'll say differently, um, even just slightly. You just don't know. Yeah, man, the, this Kenwood stuff. Sorry, I'm back to that. Uh, I'm looking through these brochures they got for the the 50 NX 5200, 5300, and 5400 series. Looks like they support um, any combination of two digital protocols from uh, NextN, DMR, and P25. So you can have a, a good list there, phase one or two, which is cool. Wow, that's pretty powerful, actually. Those are the Kenwoods? Yeah, this is the Kenwood NX series. It's the brand new. Um, their brand new stuff, the 52 to 5400 series. They offer VHF, UHF, and 7 to 8, but I don't know if it's all on the same radio. Do they got a price tag on those things? <laughs> no. It probably says either. It's on their website, so yeah, yeah. Send your letterhead uh, for me. Sure, to uh, pretty sure Bacon could get you a price on those. Undoubtedly. Probably. $7,000. <laughs> no, I don't think so. A kid. Well, I don't know. So that... Public safety stuff, man. They get upwards of uh, 1200 bucks a radio. Uh, special, well, that's for not Motorola. Motorola Shoot. is like four grand, four grand for an APX. I got, I, uh, I don't know if I, sh- if I should give the hard number out on the podcast. But I had Bacon quote me on what a VP eight thousand would run, and it, mm-hmm. it was a lot, but it wasn't as much as I thought. Eight thousand so, or six thousand. The eight, the new eight thousand. That's I guess supposed to be dropping, which is. Uh, I think it was officially released, but they haven't like had like a. It was like it was like a soft release, I guess, if you would want to call it that. They haven't had like a, yeah. a widespread release on it yet, and it probably has to do with chip shortage stuff. And you know, there's there's all the chip shortage stuff going on in the U.S. and and electrical components are hard to get right now. And I, I imagine that the slow release that what was supposed to come out last year, they're probably delaying and pushing it back to that would be my guess oh those the those nx 5200s 5300 and 54 they look very similar to a vp 5000 too which uh which bacon has on his website they're um 
Well, I guess the, the radio companies change hands so often. It's a little crazy. So, you know, uh, EF Johnson is Viking and they're also Kenwood. And so it's all it's all the same company. They're just branded differently. Because if you look at EF Johnson's website under VP6000, it says it's a Viking VP6000. You look at the radio in the picture, it says Kenwood on it. But you look at the URL, it's EF Johnson. It's all the same company. That's what I, okay. So that's what I was, to, well, I think that was like episode two or something with like resilient. I forget which episode that was, uh, but uh, I was like looking up all these like radios and I was like Kenwood and EF Johnson and like invite. It's like all the same thing. It's just, it's all under like the, I don't know who the parent company would be. I don't know anymore. I think that I, yeah, I'm not even going to try to answer that one. It's just so <laughs> confusing. It's like, okay, they got their own brands. They have their own price points, features. Let's just leave it at that. So yeah, for sure. No doubt. So personal question for you. Are you in a ham radio at all? You know, I, I had the little blurb on my list that says ham radio, and then I put comments. The answer is uh, no, um, not really. I communicate with a bunch of hams. You know, I talk to a bunch of people, just kind of getting their perspective on some stuff, but I am not licensed. Um, it, my introduction was kind of in the ham world as far as, um, I know it's kind of contradictory to what I told you, but my... My introduction to the hobbyist side of things was ham or HF because that's really where it's at. Not, not really. I know my, I know my way around, you know, what propagation is and the concepts and how HF works and the DHF UHF aspects, but not. That's a really good point. Um, there's, there's a bunch of people out there right now uh, in the gun world and the tactical world, uh, kind of touting. Uh, ham radio as this is where you want to enter into the radio world at you know i was in the radio and learning about it and experimenting with it like five years before i ever got my ham radio license actually the only reason i actually got my ham radio license is i was with a group in austin and we made it a group goal that we would all get our ham radio license by the end of the year that's uh, honestly that's the only reason i did it but i learned a lot about radio before i was a ham not a, not a bad thing to have what, what I mean, what's your perspective on that? Because I, I'm, you know, there, there's a bunch of guys out there that are pushing radio. Like you don't need to get your ham radio license to be familiar with radio. Uh, what do you think about that? Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a great question. Um, I think you should do whatever you want to do as a preface. You know, if you want to get into ham, it is not a bad idea. The information you learn at, at, on a informational level, a knowledge-based level, the information you learn about just radio, RF, propagation, um, the electrical RF grounding stuff that of course depends on how high you go with your licenses. Uh, that information is not something that's just out. Well, it's out there, but it's not organized in a manner that you can just go, that makes sense. This is a structured curriculum. The ham radio world kind of does that. You know, even if you just read a manual or a test manual, uh, or a ham radio for dummies or whatever it is and learn all about it from there, that's better than nothing. But I think the foundational knowledge that that gives you as a community is unmatched in any other community that I found. So it's, it's a good idea as long as you keep your um, culture and community in perspective and understand the, you know, where you want to go, what you want to be and what you want to do with it. That's really my take on it. It's a good answer, man. Yeah, I agree. I was just reading about uh, uh, circling back, but I was just reading about those NX 5000 series radios which are actually pretty cool. Yeah. Only thing that's not cool from a comsec perspective is the built-in Bluetooth. Yeah. 
that was another reason we went away from those XPRs, man. They have, they got a lot of radios in that radio, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and a bunch of other crap. And I'm like, that's just a ComSec nightmare, like you were saying. Yeah. I wonder uh, how the implementation of the Bluetooth is in the, I'd have to do some more reading on those. But as far as the features in those radios, very cool being able to support two digital standards and analog at the same time. Oh, yeah. 2023, man. It's the year for upgrades, the year for interoperability, which is fantastic. Prior to that, two radios, three radios, that's what you'd need, but this is good. Yeah, those are very cool looking. Yeah, like we were talking about with Anarcho Bacon, having a Swiss Army Knife radio, man, just something that can, you know, check all the boxes, rather. You know, you have analog, you have multiband, you have multi-digital modes. That's that's the way to go. So, you mentioned that. Uh, Have you guys found a page called uh radio access tool on instagram i have not no okay well I, he came up on the recommended and i don't know if this is legit man because it looks almost like an ai built the image but the uh they just posted because they had a little thing that said product announcement coming to one of 2023 and that's today so i you know stuck around and found the post but he's got this little radio he's supposedly building that's a one megahertz through six gigahertz transceiver Linux-based SDR, 10-watt output, dual antennas on main and system. I mean, you could read through it when you find the post, but it's suspicious suspicious in just the way it presents itself as a uh, do-literally-everything radio. Um, And I am skeptical as hell, but we'll see. I'd like to think it's a real thing. What the heck is this thing? An AI-generated image, I'm telling you, man. Yeah, that's not... uh, Why is it wrinkled? Did it get... Did you torch it? What are those symbols? Those aren't. Nah, I mean, if you look at it, you can see kind of like distorted text. It's literally a uh, manipulated image, and it looks like a Baofeng housing that's been welded together. So, dude, I am. <laughs> I'm only mentioning this because you're like Swiss Army Knife Radio. I'm like, well, that's it. If it's true, but I don't know. It looks weird. Yeah, what is this? A hundred. That's weird. I don't even know the. Uh, they're called the Rat Radio Access Tool. R A T. A ground up build one megahertz to six gigahertz receiver. There's no way you built a receiver that is any decent in that wide of a range. Not with 10 watts. This is all digital modes supported. Yeah, right. Plus FM, Wi Fi, Bluetooth, cellular, cellular access, man net, encryption. Yeah, dude, it's too good to be true. <laughs> He just checked all the boxes. Is this a meme? <laughs> there's no way. There's no way they got a Manet uh, system to work on that small of a device. There's just no way. Maybe AI is trolling. <laughs> I, dude, I I swear it's gotta be. But the, uh, the 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 one megahertz, the six gigahertz is not unheard of. Your HackRF one from Great Scott Gadgets does that. Low power, but it does that. Yeah. But the rest of it's just it's a pipe dream, dude. There's no way. That is. Uh... It is interesting. So right he, he just got a free shout out, whoever it is. So good for them. But uh, man, I don't know. Just uh, just bleep bleep over bleep over the Instagram channel name when we start talking go. about it. <laughs> yes. What was it? And just a, just a beep. Oh, man. We'll never know. Yeah. Don't, don't give that any attention. Yeah. Sorry about that. I just thought, <laughs> you know what? I, gotta no, bring I, this had up. To look it, I had to look it up. I was like, what are you talking about right now? <laughs> Crazy stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. That's funny. Uh, I tagged you in that in that post today. I was like, 
I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell this guy to to rate my my ghetto P25 install on my truck. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. So I'm gonna be nice. Yeah, you're gonna be nice. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So I, I mean, zero offense, because you have a setup that 90% of people out there do not have, and that is awesome. Um, and there's nothing mean to say about it. There are just ways to improve, just like with anything else. So if you're good with it, I'll be completely blunt and completely straightforward with you. Beat me up. Right on. So um, there are better ways to route your coax that do not have to involve drilling a hole in your roof. Uh, you will probably lose some SWR. You'll lose some of that RF ability in distance. Uh, but we talked about fender mounts earlier. A fender mount is incredibly unobtrusive. You can punch through the firewall in an existing hole, usually through like a, in the newer cars. Like uh, your uh, hood release, your cable. There's just a little gasket that you just cut a little slice into and just punch your punch your coax through. Done deal. Um, fender mount uses an existing bolt inside the hood where the fender is bolted onto the uh, the chassis. Okay. And so you, you don't have to drill any new holes there. It's completely using existing infrastructure, if you will, to to install that. Excuse me. Um, so that's an option for you if you don't want to lose that. Um, that distance, that ability, the uh, SWR, I guess, for the lack of a better word, then there are ways you can put it on the roof that are also not intrusive, but you're going to put like a, a roof rail system, basically, and you'll still mag mount it, but you got to find a better place to put that coax other than through your door. Uh, Long term, you're going to be replacing your coax. That's just the bottom line. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so I'll uh, I'll come back at that, basically. Yes. Is- um, that antenna doesn't typically live on the roof of my truck. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a mag mount. It's, it's mobile for me. Sometimes that antenna comes off the truck and, uh, it'll even, it'll even come inside for just doing like testing with like, with my SDRs and stuff like that and scanning local things around here. So that way I don't have to like take my, my RTL and like try and tape it to a wall or something like that to get it, you know, vertical. So I could just like plug my SDR into my laptop or whatever, and then run that coax. I can move the antenna around. It's also for uh, like being able to like be discreet at sometimes. If I don't need the antenna up, I can pop it off the roof. I can roll up the coax real quick. I could, you know, put it in my back seat and it's chilling. Uh, so that's basically the reason why it just runs through the door. I was going to ask, on the back of the cab of the F-150s down at like down like the bottom back corner of the cab, like behind the back seat, there's like a rubber gasket. Could you not if you were to do a roof mount antenna, could you not maybe run your coax down the back side of the cab? And then I, I would imagine you could punch a hole through that gasket right there. It's like an oval shaped. It's like maybe three or four inches by like two inches. What year is your truck? 2010. Okay, I'll be straight up to you. I don't remember seeing that gasket. Uh, maybe it's a, a year-based thing, or I just don't use it. Um, let's see. Sorry, I am Googling this because this is a new one. Uh, there are different ways you can have it run. So we've seen people, um, and we have to accommodate it, we've seen people put it on their headache rack, which kills me because that's a really bad place to put it because your coax is just compromised at every turn. But you can drop that between the bed and the cab with zero problems and from there if you if your truck's the right truck you can actually drill a hole right beneath the seat closer to the edge of the door and just punch that up put it underneath that floor liner 
and right up to the radio. So there are ways you can do it that are not super exposed and you're going to compromise a little bit because you're going to have some of that off the uh, exposed to the air and then uh, between the cab and the, uh, the bed, but there are ways you can protect it, you know, wire loom, silicone, just paste down there, whatever you want to do. So there's, there's no, um, if you are stuck on a mag mount, there's no real bad way to do it. If you really don't want to drill a hole other than having to punch a hole in the bottom of your truck, you're probably going to have to, there are some stock holes, but they're really small and depending on your coax probably won't work super well. Yeah. I mean, like I was saying, the, Well, like I was saying, just the the mag mount for now, uh, running to my XTS 5000, pretty much temporary until I actually go to, uh, I'm going to buy most likely like a, a P25 mobile unit. I'm looking at like an XTL 5000 um, for my truck, like a 110 watt VHF unit. So, and when, when that actually comes around, then I'll actually, you know, start pursuing a more like permanent level of install, obviously, because that's not something that's going to come in and out of the truck regularly. For sure. Yeah. And you know, the cool thing about that, if they're both the same frequency range, which everyone understand they are, you yeah. can just be in, you can just be in see the end of uh, both of them. Well, it's not ideal. You could, you could get an adapter kit. You know, let's say you've got your, um, uh, they call them UHF connectors. It doesn't matter what band it is. The UHF connector, RF connector, you can just adapt that to a BNC so that when you're unplugging yep. it from your your mobile, you just BNC it off and then plug it into your handheld. And the radio, the antenna does the same thing for you. So same antenna, different radio, beautiful setup. I mean, yeah, that's a lot a, of that's options. Really, that's a really good idea. I currently use the BNCs. Uh, most of the time on my XTS 5000 kind of depends. I think if you, if you noticed in that uh, story I tagged you in earlier, it's, I mm. go, it's the RG 58 coax uh, with an yeah. SMA connector and I've got the BNC adapters. So I can just like real quick pull the antenna cable off and slap my, you know, my whip antenna back on. Let's, let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's take this home for a minute. I know there's going to be a lot of listeners out there who are kind of new to this. What are BNC connectors for all the new guys out there? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, sorry. Foundational stuff just kind of went over my head there. Uh, BNC is, it's essentially a little twist off. I'm not so great at explaining things without having done it first. But you can you can basically just uh, twist off and then reconnect with zero problems. You don't have to worry about the threading. If you type in BNC, that's like Boy Nora Charles. That's how it's spelled out phonetically. Or Bravo November Charlie. Um, BNC connector. And it gives you all the images on Google, all the variations and stuff. Um, they're not that expensive. You can get adapter kits for probably $14 for a bunch of different ones on Amazon if you really want to go that route. Or TCC.com is a good source, too, if you have a, an account with them. But uh, they essentially make your your equipment quick disconnect, uh, which is incredibly valuable for people in my position, not necessarily at work, but uh, in the team aspect, you know, oh, my radio needs to be taken off, but I got a cattail antenna that's routed through my gear. I'm not able to just take that off real quick. And I don't want to worry about threading in the field because it could get dirt in there or it could get damaged. So BNC is the way to go. You just push down a little bit, twist to one side, counterclockwise pops off. Same deal for putting it back on. No threading necessary. Yeah, I think that's pretty spot on. The BNCs are super convenient. And like, like Dan was saying, you can get them in pretty much any antenna or cable, you know, connector end that they have from SMA to UHF, PL259, like whatever your radio is running. I think for most people listening to this podcast are going to be running, you know, a handheld radio, which is most likely going to have one end of an SMA connector on it. 
And then all you okay. need to do is I just went on Amazon and ordered, uh, I think it was like an eight pack of the BNC connectors. It's like four of each. Oh yeah. And uh, so I just have a ton of them. No, I think no. the eight pack was like 15 bucks or something. And I, they're high quality too. So there is, like I mentioned that TCC um, website, their TCC Industries Inc. is the name, but it's just tccinc.com. They have universal adapter kits that, uh, let me look real quick. There are three different universal adapter kits and they go from, okay, my webpage isn't working super well, but basically it's in everything, uh, all the different connect types, type in, you know, male and female, mini UHF, UHF, BNC, TNC, SMA, et cetera. Um, like two of each and six universal centers, allowing you to couple any of those combinations together, which is a huge force multiplier when it comes to your radio kit, if you're an RTO specifically, or somebody who's just interested in adapting things you probably shouldn't adapt. That's what I'm all about. So one thing I've noticed about BNC, uh, so I put, well, let's, let's go back to foundation for a minute. So uh, SMA is going to be what most handheld radio antenna connectors are. Uh, so you're going to look for an SMA to BNC adapter. But, uh, you know, I, I got a whole handful of antennas. I got a signal stick. I got a Nagoya 771. I got my stock antenna. And then I got my uh, Nagoya truck mount, mag mount antenna that we talked about earlier. To make it easy to interchange any of those antennas on my radio, I put BNC connector on there. Uh, I did notice a few things about BNC, though. I don't really know exactly how to test this, but I know there is a slight signal loss when you use a BNC connector versus just you know, screwing straight SMA antenna to the SMA connector on the radio. There's got to be a way to test that. If, if you guys out there or if somebody knows how to you know break that down scientifically, please hit us up. Let us know. I'd love to post some information on that. But... One thing I've noticed about using a BNC connector is it's kind of a uh, a weak point, a hinge point, if you will. You know, so there's uh, it just it just seems to me like straight SMA connector to SMA connector. So screwing your antenna onto your radio and not going through a BNC adapter is a little bit more robust and strong and firm. And there's there's not as much wiggle in it. And sometimes I, I feel like uh, when I use uh, some of my antennas with the BNC connector under the radio, like it, it just feels like I could break this off. I don't necessarily know that I will. I agree with that. Yeah, hundred percent. If you go to and this is uh, only applicable to this, I promise I'm not just plugging myself here. But if you go to my ninth post, ninth most recent post, there is a radio on the far left on that shelf there. Um, and it's a Yaesu FT65, but the reason I'm bringing that up is because I have currently have it set up SMA to BNC, SMA to BNC. So it's the antenna is fully, fully capable of going on this radio, but I wanted the option of putting a directional antenna on this guy. So I have that BNC. It looks like a monster. When you look at that post, it's like, man, what is that chunk of metal between your antenna and your radio? Ah, that's your, <laughs> that's, that's your BNC adapter. That's um, your BNC. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So I've noticed, and I'll try to, I'll do, I, you know what, why not? I'll do a breakdown post later tonight or tomorrow if I have time and just kind of photograph the whole setup, explain why it's good or bad um, structurally, and then take the whole thing apart and show the pieces and stuff for the, the people that are listening that want to know more about it. It's uh, kind of see what I'm saying. Maybe I'll throw a video on there too. But the reason I have an opinion about this is because you have four distinct connections on this setup now instead of your two, which is your antenna or your radio. So what Sybil said is absolutely, I, I assume you guys sound really similar, sorry, but uh, I assume it was Sybil that was saying that there's some structural issues here. So you get 
your BNC connection, yeah, it's pretty good. You know, it's stable. You know, a little bit of wiggle, you know, it has that pressure spring-loaded push down. That's just kind of what it is. But you look on the threading, I've noticed that antenna comes loose over time. You know, you put it in your kit, you take it out, it just wiggles loose. So there's some merit to that. I'll put, I'll, I'll do what I said I'm going to do and put a post up about it so there's more information on it too. Yeah. And I mean, uh, my recent post from just today for, uh, for just the, like the lulls where people were just like, like civil posted like NOA weather and a couple other people just like posted like videos of their radios on the NOAA weather frequency. And I was like, Hey, I don't know why we're doing this, but I'll hop on the, on this wagon. And uh, I saw that. Good stuff. So you, you can see my BNC connectors that I'm running. Um, you know, just on my XCS 5000 running to the coax for my mag mount antenna on the roof of my truck. And uh, sometimes, you know, I I've, I think I've had that antenna up there on the truck for like a week or two now, like consecutively, just because like I've been using the radio a lot while driving around. Um, and it's not it's not the BNC, not like the actual BNC, like the twist lock connection has never come mm-hmm. loose, but occasionally right. It, the the SMA connection to the radio or the SMA connection to the coax cable will occasionally just wiggle itself loose and yeah I mean shy of tightening it down with like pliers um, I've you know just tightening it down like as much as I can you know with my hands uh, it'll still wiggle loose if you keep it like that uh, for like a long period of time that I've found at least I got a little field trick for that. So I noticed if you're trying to screw the BNC connector onto your radio, BNC connector by itself, uh, there is a little like rubber washer or O-ring or something in there that kind of creates that watertight seal at the base of the BNC connector where it couples to the radio. I've noticed if I get that thing on there, you know, as hand tight as I can, uh, and then I stick my antenna in the BNC connector, I can actually get another like quarter turn on it. And then it seems to be a little bit tighter. Mm. It's kind of a little cheat or a hack, I guess, if you will. Kind of like using a cheater bar on a pipe. You know? Right, yeah. I could get that. You get a little bit more leverage over Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. But, every, you know, I got to be honest. Every time I'm like, I'm, every time I'm doing that, I feel like I'm going to rip the SMA connector out of the radio. And I'm like, I don't know if I should be doing this, but I'm tightening it down even more. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do a torture test on a oh, on a Baofeng with a B and C and be like, how many turns does it take to rip the SMA connector out? <laughs> you would probably honestly just like like fold the threads over on either the radio or the Yeah, antenna. that's a good point. Yeah, you'll probably first. rip the threads out before you do anything else, but Still, though, I mean, it's, it's kind of thing. It like, would be pretty funny if you sh- you got to pay attention to that stuff. Go you ahead. don't want to dethread your 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 antenna. I mean, that'd, that'd be bad. You know, it'd be pretty funny if uh, if you just like take a bow thing and just start twisting the antenna on. If you just actually shear the antenna connection like off the radio, like that's the part that gives. That's what I want to do just for fun. Is like put it in a vice and put one of those digital torque <laughs> wrenches on it and just start wrenching on it. And be like, how many? How many pounds of force does it take to rip an SMA connector out of it? Just slap it on the air ratchet and give it the ugga duggas. <laughs> see, that's the stuff that people want to see out of the Civil Sentinel and Florida Man Outdoor pages. Like, make it happen, guys. <laughs> we, sh- we should do a, uh, a, a video uh, podcast one day and be like, all right, let's see what we can do to this radio. There you go. Instagram live or put something a, like that. Put a pipe wrench on an antenna on a Baofeng and just start cranking on that shit. I haven't done it yet, but I still need to pick up one of those 
uh, quote unquote waterproof bow fangs and test it. The the UV nine, right? Is it the uh, uh, well the UV nine R plus is claim also claims to. Uh, let me see here. I'm gonna. Oh yeah, that was one of those in the first Instagram post I have. I'm surprised. I didn't know that was waterproof. Um um waterproof. Yeah right. Yeah sorry. Water resistant. IP54 or less. So I got my 5100 here. Let me pop the battery off. Here's what I've noticed about these. And this is going to be the same with the XTS, the XPRs. You, when you take the battery off, first of all, it's hard to get the thing off of there. But when you when you get the battery off the radio, there's like this little rubberized ring around the battery terminals. And, and you can tell that that thing, that, that's where the battery seals to the radio. I think that's that's your first location to look to kind of see, you know, how waterproof is this thing? Because obviously, if you're going to get water on your battery terminals, you're going to have a short. And so the I, I got a, a bunch of these uh, BTEC 6X2 radios and a bunch of the guys that we train with run these things. And they have a um, uh, they have a rubberized ring in there too. But just comparing the two rubberized rings, you can tell that these EF Johnson 58100s, like it's a, it's like, yeah, yeah, this is a definitely a waterproof seal. But looking at the, the BTEC, you take the battery off the back, it's like, I can see how it could be waterproof, but I don't know if I really trust this thing. So let, let's, let's uh, dial it back even further and look at the bow fang and like, what, what's that, what's that O-ring like? Is it really going to seal or do they just say it's going to seal? Time for some immersion tests. Yeah, right. That's what I was thinking about doing. So the one, I think it was from our first episode talking about the bow fangs and stuff and alternatives. And one of my alternatives that I wrote down to the bow fang was, was still, or to an, to a UV5R was a uh, bow fang GT3WP uh, Whiskey Papa standing for waterproof. It claims to be uh, IP67 rated, uh, dual band 531 watt. And they even show a picture of it coated in water. I would like to get one and just like dunk it in a five gallon bucket, like side by side with my XTS 5000. Uh, before you do that, you need to like work up to that. Like first you need to like, you know, spray it with a Mr. Bottle. Splash it. And then you need to like. With a Mr. <laughs> and then, yeah. And if it's still working, then you need to like, uh, like, you know, rain it with a hose. If it's still working, and then, do, like, then the, you the like, yeah, dunk. yeah. Like, like throw a bucket of water on it. And if it's still working, then you <laughs> then you could do the dunk. Because, you know, I'm oh, willing to dude. bet. Oh, dude, this radio is on sale for $30 right now. It's $10. Yeah, I'm going to go buy three of them right now. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> hey, babe, I'm going to spend $90 on radios uh, I'm, gonna, I'm intending to destroy. Oh, uh, yeah, that's that'll go over well. Well, okay, I'll tell you this. If you want radios to destroy, I don't know if you're looking at just bell things. I have some surplus ones that are basically trash boxes of them so if you want something to do testing on i can send you some really stuff. what do you got <laughs> dude if you send me stuff i will do testing on it all right well hold on i don't know if i got anything here in my basement but let me look if these are no good and they might still be i'm still doing testing on them just got them they're the icom yes we're bringing that up again i think they're the icf3s uh, it's frank three sam and they're kind of an older analog they they tout two-tone paging and uh, scrambling and stuff. But those, I don't know, they make you a little too nice to trash. Um, I might have some old Maxon or old Kenwood stuff. I know it's not really part of the test of what you're going to do. Yeah, it's not in great shape. Dude, I'm really interested in that old Maxon stuff. Just because I say that because if you look at like Rangeland communications, 
Uh, he's selling Maxon radio. Oh yeah. And uh, Maxon's like, they seem to have made a comeback in the radio market. Yeah. They're definitely a, uh, a niche. Like we, we do well, we have done some Maxon programming recently for customers that bought them. They're a different animal, man. Like, if you get their business band radios, they're a fucking nightmare. Excuse my language. Just to, just to program. Um, it's because they don't have CPS and it's just a problem. Well, you know, what's interesting about it is, and I'm, I'm, I'm totally going to botch the model numbers right now, but the, the TPD 1000, that's the face programmable Maxon DMR. Is that correct? Am I right there? And then so. there's the yeah. TPD, yeah, so what, 400, which is not face programmable well, well check this out so anarcho, anarcho bacon was was talking about this um the tpd 1000 does not have aes 256 it's like def no right, it doesn't it's like arc 64 right but then you you go to the non-face programmable version of that radio which is a little bit smaller a little bit different mm-hmm. housing and it does have aes 256 so why would they do that you would yeah, think the, that they would the standardize MD, the it across MDP. the board that's strange yeah I think it's a, yeah, I'm not sure if it's a licensing issue or if it's a proprietary, th- proprietary thing. Um, and I'm probably not using those words correctly in this context, but here we are. I, I can't figure it out either. It just seems so backwards. You would think that if they're making this big of a comeback, they would want both to have both options. But I know I was looking at these for the team to replace the Motorola's and I said, like, man, I really want that one, but you can't get AES on it. Like, what's the point? I'm not familiar with this ARC4, ARC64 stuff. And it was just kind of a bummer. I'm not either. And AES-256 is like the gold standard of encryption. So why? Dude, these ICOM P25s look nice. Which dude, ones? Uh, The 7000s. Oh, yeah. Dude, I, I just went on ICOM's website and the very first banner on the website is like LMR. Yep. Like, not even amateur. I, I thought I've always associated ICOM with being amateur radio and like i just i think this is the first time i've been on icom's website it was just like lmr and i just clicked on this and went to the first handheld that popped up and i was like this is a good looking radio yeah man they're they're primarily uh, public safety now i mean the p25 stuff they're they're 7000 series which is their p25 stuff amazing radios i used one for five years when i was doing county stuff um a year or two ago and that was that was pretty cool a little different i went from a icom f70 ds p25 a little older basically the brick to that yeah. and man it, it, you have like gps you got wi-fi if you care about it you got, well i think it's wi-fi yeah don't quote me on that all these options and features um sdr code sdr card wow i can't speak sd card programming <laughs> sdr card <laughs> yeah i was like man that doesn't sound right no sd card programming you can load a, a plug on there throw it in the sdr slot or wow sd card slot <laughs> and you can just you can just program it from the sd card or you can have it record all incoming incoming and outgoing rf that's what i was just looking in. at yeah it's just a full digital out. voice recorder uh it's a it's ambi two plus uh is the mm-hmm. vocoder so that's going to give you some really good uh digital voice quality yeah it does say uh, some of these features though on their website like uh what is it the enhanced digital rate vocoder uh, the blah 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 some other stuff over the air programming so they have otap they also have otar and aes encryption but it says option ops optional god i can't talk mm. Uh, license. Yeah, it also says front panel, front panel programming, but also optional license. So it sounds like you have to pay for those features to be added to the radios, which is Take very 
which is very similar to what yeah yeah exactly maxon too from what i understand with most of the maxons and the high terras as well you have to pay to have the aes and fpp enabled on the radios which is kind of sus but yeah why would you not grant full access to the radio if the radio can do it why wouldn't they just i know gatekeeping gatekeeping that's what it is, man. That's all it is. It's money. Those uh, those ICOMs do look like nice radios, though, if you could find your... I don't know what the prices on those would be. Oh, they're expensive. Like I said, about 1200 bucks or more. I think I think we can get them out on grants for like... Well, whatever. I'm not going to tell you that. But they're they're not as bad. Um, still expensive. $1,200 I mean, is not that bad for a, like a modernized P25 radio with a full-color display. Yeah, uh, and that's I mean, one of the reasons they're going to ICOM so prevalently lately is they're just cheaper, but they're just as good. You know, they do everything, all the the P twenty five capabilities. I mean, they're just they're yeah. Just but as good. ICOM, though, you know, there's, there's ICOM LMR, right? Okay, yeah, it's a little bit unconventional, but you know, when when you go into the ham world and when you go into HF, ICOM is where it's at. Like the ICOM seven hundred five, yeah, like that's the QRP oh, yeah. radio. That's what everybody wants, and yep. And then oh, yeah. you know, they have their yeah. whole other line of other HF radios and you know the the ICOM ham radio world like that even the hams shit on ICOM handhelds but <laughs> which I don't understand I don't, I, don't, I don't either I don't either but that's neither here nor there but the the as far yeah. as HF goes yeah. when you get into HF ICOMs what everybody wants so I mean yeah. they they are that that's just a testament of saying that they are capable of producing a quality piece of hardware. So, you know, what's to stop them from producing Absolutely. A, a decent ham or sorry, not a ham P25 radio. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's cool. They, that line, you know, they make a variation of everything. So that 7,000 series radio, they make an IDIS digital version of it. I don't think they touch DMR honestly as a company, but I could be wrong. I've just never heard of them. But the, uh, if you look, there is like one or there used to be, one forty four hundred floating around on eBay, and I think that's the UHF um, UHF IDIS digital one. And I got excited, except it was still nine hundred dollars or something like that. So, no, never mind. You know what's? Uh, you, you're talking earlier about programming from an SD card. Yesu does the same thing with the FT three DR, and that's their you know that's the Yesu C four FM digital protocol, which is you know proprietary. Basically, only Yesu digital can talk to Yesu digital. They can't talk to anybody else. And it's not the same kind of C4 FM as, yeah, yeah, it's Fusion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and Yesu C4 FM cannot talk to P25 C4 FM. It's like, you know, it's proprietary. But one cool thing, and, and well, let me back up and say this real quick. So Yesu hardware, like the, the menu function in it is, is retarded on all of Yesu radios, which is unfortunate because Yesu is a piece of hardware. But... I mean, they they did incorporate some really cool engineering into it. Like you can pop that SD card in there, boom, you're 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 programmed like that. And then you can do uh, over the air cloning with those yep. FT3s and the FT5Ds. Oh, nice. Yo, ICOM makes a land mobile HF radio. What? Are they really? Yeah. I, I sh- shouldn't react like that, but that's news to me. Well, unless I've just heard it differently. What is it? It's the it's the uh, Foxtrot 8101 professional HF and compact pa- compact package 125 watts. Oh, yeah, um, 0.5 to 29.99 really? megahertz. 
Yeah, 125 watts, automatic link established, selective call, user-friendly operation. It's IP uh, 54 rated. Yeah. Um, so it looks like it's, it's part <laughs> it's part 90 compliant. Uh, it's got SWR, voltage, GPS, direction, and elevation. Wait, so it's part 90 and it's HF. Wow. Does that mean it can do encryption? Yeah. I, that's Ooh. what I was looking at, but I don't see. Are you on their page? Yeah. An encrypted HF radio. That's what that's what every that's a wet dream for every MCOM and TACCOM guy out there. Dude, absolutely. I'd be I'd be absolutely so happy if I had a I'd go into debt. Video. <laughs> yeah, I know, right. Uh it's not on the product page. I wonder if it's in the specifications. I was just trying to see if it had encryption. If it's I wonder if it's an add-on you can pay for. It doesn't say. Still well, a cool radio though, actually. I mean, why would you need HF on LMR though. I mean, who who would be using that besides the military? Straight up, real, real question. Well, more more and more these, yeah. So more and more of these these agencies have been. I mean, I was just approached by our uh, administrator at work. He was saying, "I well, I want to get a ham radio so we can you know talk to everybody else that's that's doing this whole interagency search and rescue stuff." I'm like, "Yeah, that's a really good idea," but nobody's really done that before, other than getting the hams involved in disaster relief or whatever it is you're doing, it would be a fantastic thing to have somebody on the public safety side capable of it in an ideal world where they're out to help, you know, where they, uh, they have the inter interagency cooperation or inter interoperability, I guess is the word I'm looking for, um, to be able to talk to those people that are out there just in the civvies doing the things, helping you out. Cause if you can't talk to them, you're kind of, kind of at a dead end, you know, what are you going to, uh, how are you going to coordinate stuff? So I think it's a great idea. That would fit in really well if you had the proper structure and how to get it implemented. That would be that would be very cool. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, it would. I'd give a kidney for that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm still looking at this spec list. It's pretty pretty interesting. Are you looking at this HF radio? Yeah, the 8101. Yeah, I was. I, I just for sure. No, oh, that's what I'm looking at. I was trying to see if there's information on the brochure in the brochure. I mean, it's all like military standard. IP rated, all this stuff. It just, there's no word in here about encryption that I'm seeing. They got like the computer generated pictures of like a fake Land Rover with this giant end fed yeah. antenna. <laughs> that's, so like a, that's like a CGI or AI generated picture of like a fake Land Rover in the desert. That, <laughs> that their, first one though. That yeah, that's, photo. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny, dude. And then somebody just photoshopped that and fed whip antenna in onto the picture. <laughs> so great. You couldn't just pay somebody to go and like take a picture. It's IP54 rated. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was saying. It's a really cool looking HF. This might be the HF radio I go with if it's not like $1,000, but it's probably like $1,000. It says IP55 under the specifications in the brochure. Yeah, so it must be like a slightly better than 54. They just exceed yeah. the standard a little bit. It says mm -hmm. digital vocoder and, a oh, right there on the product brochures, front page, digital vocoder and AES encryption cap uh, compatible. Oh, <laughs> scouring I, it. I scrolled right past the first the page. <laughs> it's right there next to the product, the first uh, picture with the freaking fake Land Rover. Okay, yeah, this is the HF radio I'm getting. I oh wonder how much... I wonder how much they want for the AES encryption for total legal part 90 use in Minecraft. 
Dude, I love that meme. That's such a good way to in- insert that there. <laughs> it's a nice looking radio, dude. I can't believe I missed that. There's a big bronze badge on the front cover of the brochure. Digital vocoder and AES encryption compatible. It says Mill Standard 810. You can get them. You can get them brand new on eBay for three grand. Is that what it is on eBay right now? Yeah, but who knows? Maybe that's somebody who got a product demo and was like, "I'm selling this shit." I don't know. Yeah. Does anybody know? Do y'all know? Is is there like uh, a LMR convention anywhere, anytime, ever? There's got to be. Yep, I'm going to one in March. There's IWCE in Vegas. I'm going to go to in March. Why is everything in Vegas? Because that's like the convention headquarters of the world, man. It is. Yeah. No, but that's uh, that's that's it. IWCE. It's the when we've gone to the last twenty years. It's got all the all the everything and everyone, all the big companies and everything in between, all the product demos. Here's what's coming up next year. All that good stuff. It's gonna be fantastic. It's my first one, actually. I don't know how, but it's my first one. You know what would be fun to do is get all the com pages together in Vegas for a weekend and have oh my god, every, meet and greet, drink beers, talk about radios, organize posts. We could probably get a whole lot more ground gained doing that. Oh, yeah. Showcase whatever personal projects we're working on, all that good stuff. It'd be like shot show, but like calm shot show. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what it is. <laughs> IWCE or any of those other ones, but yeah. Heck yeah. Be down for it. The, the calm shit convention. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Nobody would show up. It'd be like us. You're right. <laughs> Uh, everybody um, redacted. well guys (laughs) (laughs) well i think it was uh i think it was a great discussion thanks for having me guys it's been a blast thanks for coming on man let's do it again and if anybody has an icom foxtrot 8108 hit me up yeah same Same. definitely (laughs) i guess real quick before you go or before we go i'll if you're okay with it, you can edit this out if you don't want to. I do have that separate page on Instagram, the comms broker that I have paid very little attention to. Um, Wait, that's you? That Yeah, well, it's the same same logo, dude, just different color. I didn't even realize. <laughs> so, I, the, yeah, so the purpose of that was I had all these XPR Motorola's and I'm like, I got to get rid of these. eBay has outrageous fees and horrible return policies. And I had some real bad luck there with high dollar transactions getting returned to me for really bullshit reasons. So I was like, well, I'll just get on Instagram and pay a lot of attention to it and get the guys all like, yeah, I'll buy your shit. And then it never happened. So they're, they're listed. I just haven't done much with it. So, um, yeah, I, I really don't know if it's going to last much longer. It was more of a, I need to get rid of these radios and they're really good and they work and I can program them for you. It's all in the listings, but yeah, that's pretty much my, my plug. Right on, man. Uh, super cool. Go check out the comms broker if you're looking at getting into a uh, something way better than a Balfang. Yeah, DMR. And the prices are not fantastic if you're looking at budget, but you know what? I can work with it. Um, I'm making money either way, so you know, send me an offer, whatever it is. And I have more radios coming. It's just a matter of getting them tested, outfitted, and getting batteries and stuff. So I've got more than that. You just ask me a question. You know, hey, have you got this? I might. Who knows? Well, uh, let's let's get some more. Info. If if you got a minute, um, yeah, I'm not familiar with the 3500s. Are those capable of uh, AES? 3500s. Uh, yeah, your XPR 3500s that you're selling. Dude, I'm sorry, I was like literally right there. You know, they're supposed to be. 
Um, I never got into it. I was just like, okay, it's DMR. And then we ran into that roadblock. So let me do a real quick, real quick search and let you know that maybe what the E on the end of it stands for, because they released XPR 3500 line along with all their other their other series. But they added the E on the end of a bunch of them, like an upgrade. And I'm not really sure what that upgrade was okay. supposed to be. So oh, good looking little radio, rugged, uh, pretty small footprint. Yeah, it's really not bad. It's about the size of a Belfang, just a little deeper. You know, you get different batteries and stuff for it. So uh, another shameless thing here, I, I did a test on these. I brought one with me uh, at work and let it run for 36 hours just receiving. And it still had 14% battery life. So if you get a good battery, like the 2100 milliamp hours, it'll last you a long time. Wow, that's pretty Yeah, good. I know. That's what I said, too. I was a little surprised. I did not expect that. I'm just trying to find the answer for you as far as AES goes. I mean, they wouldn't even even have to be like AES capable if even if it's like ARC four or something like that encryption. It'll be AES so, if anything. It'll be better. Um, than yeah, let me just try. Let me word that differently. Okay, let's see what that I comes might, up with. I might be able to help if I just go to the product page. Yeah, so I'm trying to find here some variation of that. There we go. Motorola solutions. So the channel lock is what. I guess one of the features that separates the regular numbers from the EE model. So it's got channel lock. Oh, okay. Specifications. Uh, I didn't want the PDF. I already got a bunch of those. Oh, well, sorry guys. I should know this having worked with them so much. I just wasn't sure either yeah, way. Apparently. It's a, uh, it's a good looking radio, good footprint. I think a lot of problem people have going from like a Balfang to something like the, some of the P25s is like the P25s, the EF Johnsons, the the XTS line radios. They're they're chunking radios. I mean, they're bricks. It's like the size of a you know 16 ounce or 12 or like 16 ounce water bottle, uh, and probably weighs more than that. Yeah, no kidding. Let's see. Let me try one more thing. No, that's not what I wanted. I was at my computer, but now I'm using my uh, phone, so it's all kind of wonky, not as fast. Um, I really want to answer that question for you. If, if it uh, gets people the thing you're looking for, yeah, it says it is, but you know, Motorola, I'm really not sure if it's one of those things you have to buy, and being that these are used, it may not be an available feature. It says uh, enhanced digital privacy is an optional uh, on this website. Motorola Solutions, enhanced digital privacy is optional, yes. There you go. So... I guess you would just have to you'd have to plug in one of those radios to go into the uh, into the software and see if there's a security or secure uh, thing somewhere. Yeah, they um, they typically they won't even have it as an option. Like I, I've noticed when I program these things, they they come up with a list of stuff that's available and it'll have everything on the front end. What's been purchased, what's available for purchase and what you already have purchased. So it kind of gives you everything up front as far as what um, what am I trying to say? What you can and can't do with it out of the box so but anyway there's that but yeah I'll, I'll do some more posts i'll get that uh yeah update us on instagram if you get a solid answer on that and uh and you get a better answer because that's definitely a cool radio someone you know group of guys could upgrade to um from like some bow fangs and probably a little bit easier on the programming side than like a p25 but right on dan dude it was a good conversation and we covered a lot of good topics a lot of uh, a lot of funny stuff got into the weeds a little bit i had a great time yeah yeah me too it was a good time guys thanks for thanks for having me Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Fantastic. Well, we'll uh we'll see you guys the next time we're on and obviously we'll see you on Instagram. Nice. Good night, guys. See ya.